Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. Speaking is a, is a mindfulness practice. Nowhere is this more true than in a leadership position because people listen so closely to what you say, so closely to what you say. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Leaders and managers I talk to constantly complain their people don't listen to them. But paradoxically, often the case is actually they're listening quite carefully, and it's the manager who's not communicating well. Your people hang on your every word, whether you realize it or not. So choosing those words carefully is critical. What if you have more power than you realize to get your people to listen? Making speech a mindfulness practice is the path to discovering this. Keep listening to part one of this two-part series to find out how. This episode is from a recent weekly webcast. For more information about the many benefits of Clear and Open membership and how to get the help you need in conversations just like this, please go to clearandopen.com. Thanks again for listening. Let's dive in. So I wanted to talk today about a Buddhist precept. Sometimes I I draw a lot on, on the teachings of the Buddha here and there, but this time I came across something that I really, really like that is pure pure Buddha precept that I thought would be really useful. It's the, the principles of, of right speech. And there's a lot you can read and say about it, but there's four pieces in particular, four ways of talking about it, four questions to ask that are really useful. So the idea first in context is that speaking is a, is a mindfulness practice. And nowhere is this more true than in a leadership position because people listen so closely to what you say, so closely to what you say. The way they, and even more so, they listen to how you say it and your body language and whether you smiled when you said good morning to them. They, they, they make that mean so much because you're in an authority position. So this is a good mindful practice, I would say, good mindfulness practice, I would say, for anyone. But for someone who is a leader or a manager, I would say it is a required mindfulness practice because the impact you have on your people is the impact you have on your business. It's really, really significant. And a good leader is always watching the weight of their words on their people in really careful ways because you have probably a hundred unintended consequences of your words on your people every day. It just happens. So if you could reduce that to like 50, and certainly some of it is beyond your control and it's their responsibility. They've got their authority projections and whatnot. But if you could reduce that just by the way you're being and the way you're speaking, that would be a big deal. So that as context for this, you, we have a big impact. We, and, and just think about, you know, just with loved ones and peers, you have a big impact on the way you speak with them. But when, you, when you're in control, whether that person gets a paycheck this month or not, it's tenfold. 
So the simple way of thinking about it is before you open your mouth, you ask yourself four questions. Is it true? Is it useful? Is this the right time? And can they hear it? Is it true? Is it useful? Is this the right time? And can they hear it? I'll talk a little bit about each one of these. But that's pretty easy to remember. Is it true? Is it useful? Is it the right time? And can they hear it? Let's start with sort of the, an easy one that isn't necessarily easy. And that is, is it true? And you hear me talk about this one all the time. Is that really true? Like Byron Katie's four questions. Is that really true? A really good example of where people talk about stuff that isn't true, sort of most overt example, is gossip. Gossip is when people talk about stuff where they're really not sure if it's true because the fun part of gossip is in the conjecture and in the interpretations and all that. That's the fun part of gossip. But as a, as a leader, it can be very tempting. For example, what I see in, in leaders a lot is leaders want to, you want to inspire people. You want to get people excited about things. You want people to see the, the positive side of stuff. And where can that go wrong? Or where that can go wrong is when you make promises that you can't keep. You talk about how big a fourth quarter it's going to be or how many sales are about to come in. Or it's very tempting because the, the sort of codependent dynamic is your people want to be reassured. And so from a place of care, you want to reassure them. It's very tempting to tell them things that you think might be true and, or that you want to be true and they really want to believe, but you don't actually know that it's true. Look at Donald Trump. Because I, I, I can't go through one of these webcasts apparently these days without mentioning Donald Trump. I believe that Donald Trump really wants a lot of what he says to be true. I don't think he has bad intentions. Most people don't. He seems to believe that the things that he's saying that are not true are true. He really wants to believe. When he said he would get Mexico to pay for a wall, <laughs> I can't even say it without laughing. I'm sure he really thought that was true. And then, you know, the, the supporters who are like, who, by the way, believe immigration is a really serious problem because Trump said so, when actually net immigration has been zero for a really long time, and it's actually not, according to the numbers, it's not really a problem. But he made it a problem by talking about it, as if it were a problem, and then made up the solution. We're going to get Mexico to, um, to pay for the wall, violating first principle. He really wants things to be true. And we all do this. Trump's just an overt example of it. We all do this. We exaggerate. We hyperbolize, hyperbolize, hyperbolize. I like that. Hyperbolize. I don't know. Exaggerate. Um, because it's fun. We want to get the energy up and you want to inspire people. But what happens when you make promises to an employee that don't come true? I see this so many times because oftentimes leaders are very entrepreneurial, inspired, energetic people, and they want other people to feel the same. And so, well, nowhere near the level of liar that Donald Trump is, it's just like my Aikido teacher used to say, watch the, 
white belts very carefully. They make the same mistakes as the black belts, except they don't cover them up as well. We all do what Donald Trump does. We all do that. Not to the same degree, but in order to get energy moving, in order to inspire people, we stretch the truth a little bit. You know, it may be Donald Trump's doing it 91%, and we may do it a half a percent, but it's the same thing. And, and so the right speech is about holding yourself to this really careful distinction where you're constantly watching. Did I make that sound better than it really is? Did I, did I make that? Did I promise that employee like, well, when this new route is really successful, then I'll be able to give you a raise. Not saying you did that, Kurt, <laughs> just as an example, you know, because we all do this and it's, it happens so often. And it's, it's sort of related to the instant gratification thing that we all struggle with because when you inspire an employee of like, oh, well, when this deal comes through, then we'll all be able to get raises. There's, it's like a sugar high. There's a short term like, yay, cool. That's, that'll make my week. And then when it doesn't happen, the culture pays for it for six months. And the versions of this happen all the time. So as a leader, and this is just one facet of it, as a leader, it's, it's very important to be very careful with what you say so that you don't overpromise to your employees, you don't overpromise to your customers. Yesterday, I had the privilege of uh, driving out to Lahaina where the Maui Gym headquarters is. And I, Maui Gym is such a great company. But uh, I was careless with my $200 sunglasses and broke one of the arms off. And here I am thinking, I don't have a backup pair of sunglasses. You can't survive in Maui without sunglasses, right? So I drove out there and you know, it's this pristine showroom. It's like some blend of like a retail store and their corporate offices, like a retail store in the downstairs and corporate offices and upstairs. And they greet me as I come through the door. There's like three people behind the counter. They're like, hey, all excited to see me, like almost as if they knew me. And I walk in, I show them my tape sunglasses. I go, can you help this? Oh yeah, no problem. Give me a little thing to fill out. It'll just take 15 or 20 minutes. And so I go relax on some koa wood bench and this, you know, lovely, and the music is perfect and it's quiet. And, and five minutes later, I heard my name. I was expecting to wait 15 to 20 minutes. In five minutes, it was done. And I said, hey, that wasn't 15 to 20 minutes. And the woman said, okay, we'll hold on to them then for another 15 minutes, joking with me. And just that little moment, that little moment, and you guys all know the un, un, what is it under promise over deliver. You guys all know that. But if you see that as that's that's a kind of expression of right speech, it's just to take so much responsibility to say we don't know how long it will take on some days, so we're just always going to say fifteen to twenty minutes because we know we can always do it in ten. Do you see how responsible that is of right speech? You know, versus when you call Bank of America or Wells Fargo and you hear a recording say, we understand your time is valuable. And then, you know, a third of the time you get cut off and you have to call back. You don't understand my time is valuable. You wouldn't let that happen if you really understood that. So that's a little bit about speaking the truth. And it's easy to say, oh, well, of course I speak the truth all the time. I don't lie. Well, we're not talking about malicious lying here. We're talking about the asymptotic, remember asymptote? That's the curve that approaches a axis but never reaches it. The asymptotic pursuit of completely accurate speech. 
where you're always in the back of your mind saying, could I be more accurate? Could I be more honoring of the truth? Could I be more faithful to reality in, in the words that I used? It's a practice. It's just like breathing. You can attend to your breath and you can watch it and notice it really carefully, or it can just happen on its own. Talking is the same way. But when you attend to speech in this way, things can start to change. And if you notice you say something to someone and they have a reaction, those are the moments where you can go, oh, okay, something just came out of my, out of my mouth that might have been, not been that accurate. Or how could I have make it, made it more accurate? Even if their reaction is in you know, many ways their responsibility, how can you own your side of it? Okay, so that's speaking the truth. Is it true? Is it useful? So just because what you want to say is true doesn't mean you should actually say it. And what does useful mean? Depends on the context, certainly. One of the ways, one of the things to look at here is small talk. Buddha actually spoke about small talk, didn't like it so much. The usefulness of small talk in linguistics, they call it phatic communication with a pH. The way I look at small talk is through this lens. Small talk is like a warm-up. It's like it's not physical exercise, but it's it's a warm-up. It's something that you need to do so that what you really want to talk about happens well. But when people do small talk for its own sake, that's not really useful. I mean, you could say small talk is like for entertainment purposes, but it's just something to notice. Where are you engaging in small talk in a way that's like a pastime or like an entertainment or to blow off steam? And is it really serving you? Is that really serving you? And, you know, when you chat with an employee, say, in the break room for a couple of minutes about whatever you chat with them about, there's small talk that can happen that can be really, what's the word, uh, useful, because you're connecting with them in some kind of semi-social way. But to be intentional about that, maybe you could also be talking with them about how their day is going or... Hey, you're talking to the CEO right now. What's the one thing you want to say to the CEO, given the chance? Here it is. And depending on how big an organization you have, I mean, that might be a rarity. Just to, but to put small talk in, a, in the context of usefulness, that you, you only engage in it if you're clear and intentional about the use. Another way of looking at small talk or uh, usefulness, is harmony. Is what you're saying promoting harmony in some ways? Is it enhancing the relationship? Because with everything that you say, and again, this is really high level of responsibility, with everything that you say, you can be either enhancing the relationship or unenhancing. You're making it better or you're making it worse. Doesn't usually just stay the same. It's kind of like a moving needle. And mindfulness around speech is about paying attention to that. Where you have as a contextual motive, I'm not just going to give this person feedback about the call they just had with the customer. That's the content. 
The context is I'm going to enhance my relationship with them. Another way of saying what this right speech thing is all about is really paying attention to the context of our speech, not just the content. What am I actually accomplishing here? Now, of course, you all know with harmony, it's not always possible to make someone feel better when you have a difficult thing to tell them. But then what should the context be? Well, it should be to make them feel as good as possible, given the bad news, even if you're telling someone they're losing their job. Well, usefulness means you need to tell them this is what's happening. They're losing their job. How do you want to do that? How do you want that conversation to go? What's the end result that you want to have? What's the relationship you want to leave them with as a result of that? And I think where a lot of us get caught is we, we get caught in a lot of the preparation is about the content. What am I going to say? What are the words I'm going to use? When am I going to tell them this? A lot of that content stuff, instead of stepping back and just trusting that your mind will figure out the content when you need it. And to focus more on what's the feeling I want to have with this person? What's the feeling I want to have in the room? What's the feeling I want them left with? Those are all in the domains of usefulness. Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Be sure to visit clearandopen.com for the latest tools, articles, and free resources to help you on your journey. Thanks for listening and bye for now.